0: This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. We've got a special episode today for many reasons. One, our producer and friend, Charlotte Cameron, will be joining me as guest host. We're in Brooklyn, New York in a private studio. And to top it off, we've traveled up here to speak with entrepreneur, investor, and content creator, Saul Hill Bloom. Saul Hill is managing partner at SWB, an investment firm that accelerates early startups, and he is most known for creating highly motivational content around wealth, performance, perseverance and success. His content is delivered across multiple platforms, reaching over a million people weekly. We're about to get educated. Let's go to Saul Hill. Saul Hill Bloom, welcome to Champagne Problems.
1: Thank you for having me. Glad to be doing it in person, too,
0: here in Brooklyn, New York. I uh, know, I know. You took the words out. I was going to say we're sitting in beautiful Brooklyn, New
1: York. Um, beautiful, like 30 degrees. 30 and a day. little gray. Nice and crisp, nice yeah, and crisp. trash on the streets. Yeah.
0: Wonderful, man. Very glad you agreed to do this. Uh, very excited to, to sit down with you and, and pick your brain on all, all things uh, Saw Hill's wheelhouse.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully we have <laughs> something to offer. I don't know. I can't promise anything already, but we'll see. All right,
0: all right. Um, all right, so we do a, a little rapid-fire thing at the very beginning. Um, we're going to fire off a few questions to get to know Saul Shit. Hill. Okay. Oh, yeah, all right, baby. Let's get yeah. into it. Here we go. What was your first live music concert and where?
1: Oh, this is embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> Fallout Boy. Yes! Uh, oh, God. Shoot, what year is this? Like Probably, oh, I don't know, 2003, 2004 uh, in Worcester, Massachusetts lovely yeah it was fallout boy hawthorne heights and like some other embarrassing band that i was really into (laughs) that by the way like embarrassing at the time like you know like later kind of got embarrassed by it right now i'm back into that stuff like i'll listen to that while i work out no No. issues no issues fallout boy people stunt on them but they're actually not bad (laughs)
2: you're standing (laughs) by don't (laughs)
1: sleep on fallout boy all right
2: uh what comedy movie have you seen the most number of times
1: (laughs) oh super bad easy super bad super bad by the way like is so freaking funny and you couldn't make that movie today this is like no. one of my there's one of my issues with it it's like judd apatow some of those movies that he made are unbelievably funny like the comedy the the dialogue is so good and so crisp and so funny but some of the jokes like, oh, like i just don't X-rated. think you can make them in hollywood anymore with like how the overton window has has shifted
0: no question i think the majority of comedy movies from the past you cannot do anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right what food is your guilty pleasure
1: ooh uh ben and jerry's cookie dough ice cream Lovely. All right. Lovely.
2: What'll make you lose your temper?
1: <laughs> <Ooh>. uh,
2: <laughs>
1: my wife will tell you this one. Uh, actually, two things. Number one, um, when simple technology things don't work, mm-hmm. I get really, really annoyed, like mm-hmm. unnecessarily annoyed and pissed <laughs> off if like a simple thing just isn't working. Uh, and then number two, any notices from the IRS just piss me just off. Piss you <laughs> off.
0: I love it. I love it. What's the god? What's the comedian's name where he talks about uh, people getting mad at their phones? And He's like, it's got to go to space and back. Oh, well,
1: th- like Lewis C. K. has an amazing like, one about Wi-Fi it. on planes. That's, that's so funny. Where like you're on a plane and he, he has this whole bit of like you're literally in a in like a <laughs> rocket going right. like you know 800 miles an hour, 30,000 feet above the earth, and you're uh, pissed that uh, your Wi-Fi doesn't
0: work. You're bitching, <laughs> right? Yeah,
1: it's so good. Love it. All right. So,
0: what is your favorite view
1: favorite view
0: could be vacation you know
1: no i mean i i'm biased because this is a more recent one but waking up in the morning and my 6 month 7 month old son uh like crawling all over me and smiling Aww. at me that for sure is like the best view in life yeah yeah give it a give it a year yeah <laughs> <laughs> when he starts, like, now he's kind of learned how to, like, whack me and wake yeah. me up. Right. So the, the view has changed where it used to be, like, peaceful little smiles. Now it's, like, him, like, clobbering me in the face to wake me up. So I'm sure when he's, like, a year old, it'll start to get not so good. But for now, it's still pretty good. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful scene. All right, awesome. Now we know you. So let's... That actually did capture a lot of my personality, <laughs> yeah. by the way, already. So good That's questions. Good questions right That's off the, the bat. I like it.
0: All right, so you're a Stanford grad you're a four-year student athlete baseball player you've received accolades for you know exhibiting excellence academic achievement
1: where do you, i pay you for
0: this high yeah, track, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll hit be, you later I'm on Venmo. i'm, I'm reading Venmo. the list right. you gave me <laughs> no. uh you had let's see what were the other things the you, you were guided by condoleezza rice you're you're a successful entrepreneur and investor um I take it you're not a very lazy guy. Yeah. Um so where does your spark come from? If you can think back to when you realized that you wanted to succeed and you wanted to do well. I mean, I think about my myself in junior high and I was kind of a piece of shit. I was a little <laughs> bit lazy. How far back do you remember being driven like that?
1: You know, I always remember being pretty driven and having like an internal wiring that pushed me forward. I've always thought a lot about the difference between motivation and discipline in life. And I think my parents and my grandfather and my dad really instilled that in me of like this whole idea that you can't have to be motivated to do something every single day because it's a dangerous way to live. Mm -hmm. If you have to be motivated, you're just going to go up and down and have these swings because you're not always going to be motivated. You're going to wake up half the time and be like, shit, I don't want to do this thing, whatever it is. And so this idea of developing like a cold, almost emotionless discipline in life and things that you're going to do has always been very central to how I approach things. And that's from... I don't know. I think back to it, I guess in the earliest days, probably in high school, when I started to really approach baseball, just having that cold, emotionless discipline of like the alarm clock goes off. You wake up. You're going to do what you said you were going to do. Yeah. There's no battle. Yeah, there's no battle. And it, it actually is really liberating because you don't have to have that battle in the morning of like, do I want to go do this thing? Do I want to, you know, now like, do I want to go get in this cold plunge? Do I want to yeah. go, you know, get the workout in that I said I was going to do? There's not that battle. It doesn't exist when you remove motivation and needing to have that motivation. And I've always just sort of had that wiring. I saw it in my dad and I think it's much easier to learn things when you just see them and observe them than it is when they're taught to you. Like anyone can tell you things, your parents can like, I used to have this idea that when my son was born I would teach him all sorts of things. I'd be like, hey, (laughs) you know, you have to be this way, you have to be this way. And I just realized like, you can't, you can't do that. I didn't think about half the stuff my parents said to me. And it's just in one ear out the other as a kid. but when you see things in action, when you see your parents embodying things, those really stick with you. And so that, for me, I mean from from the early days of my life, i just I've always always thought about discipline as being like a central tenet of how I operated how oh. do you
2: How do you determine then what discipline is worth keeping in the mix? It's
1: a good question. Um, you know, for me, I think about a lot, like what are the values? What are the kind of like central values that you're going to be? um focusing on and like how do you define success fundamentally? Like what does what winning look like to mm-hmm. you in life? Um, because that's what's gonna be the bounds on how you're gonna operate and what you want to do. And at any point in your life, that definition changes. At some points, you know, you're gonna be really focused on money and trying to get off the ground in your career. Then at some point you're gonna be more focused on family and spending time with your family. But having those kind of non-negotiables around like what your values are, what are you really gonna be focused on and trying to push towards has always been really important to me. I think about um and I'm writing about this a lot right now uh, in the context of the book that I'm working on, there's this scene, uh, have you seen the movie Apollo 13? Yeah. So in Apollo 13, there's that like famous climactic scene when they're coming into the re-entry, into the atmosphere, and they realize that there's this really critical angle that they need to hit. If they're too shallow, they're going right. to skip off and shoot off into space. If they're too steep, they're going to just blow up on reentry. <laughs> right. And so they somehow need to, like, nail the angle of reentry, but they don't have their computer on. The computer's been, like, blown up, right, and, yeah. yeah, they don't have enough power to turn it on. <laughs> and so Tom Hanks comes in and is like, well, we can actually nail this angle by just focusing on getting the Earth in this window and if as long as we like run the burn, if we can keep the earth in the window, we're going to optimize the angle of reentry and be OK. And I think about that so much as a metaphor for life of like that window is sort of your values mm. and the earth is like your habits, the actions you're taking on a daily basis. And when you can achieve that alignment and just focus on that, you can accomplish so much mm. going forward. And when you lose that alignment, that's when bad things happen. Yeah. Mm.
2: Oh, I
1: like that. This is life. This is it. Apollo <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> 13 metaphor. I love that movie too. Love, it's so yeah. good. You're
0: clearly. Uh, that's awesome. I love that. Cause the, yeah, looking at the earth through the window, I remember that scene vividly. I remember it well. All right. So let's talk about action because I love how you say it as an emotionless um, mm-hmm. discipline. And I love Jocko, discipline is freedom. You know, that whole idea. Uh, and this comes from a personal place. I, I, that is a big struggle of mine. My emotions play a major factor into the thing. I mean, I can know everything, almost down to the parenting thing you said. You know, we can talk and we can teach and we can tell and we can do all that stuff. But then it comes to action, it comes to doing. What you, how, do you, how do you stay emotionless? How do you stay disciplined? How do you, how do you
1: execute that? you know mark manson do you know mark manson the author of the subtle art of not giving a fuck? oh that's awesome so uh, he's great i've like i've never met him i like love his writing and thought i mean i thought that book was phenomenal and it it gets like you know some people love it some people hate it which is kind of the point of the whole thing but in that book he talks about um this idea of values and he talks about values that are good are evidence-based versus emotional Mm -hmm. and that to me is just really important it's like what are going to be your evidence-based values that you're going to be pushing towards and once you figure out what those are you know they're evidence-based you can slowly try to remove the emotion from how you're operating on a daily basis you're never going to be perfect about it right like we yeah. are emotional creatures that's actually a feature not a bug being emotional mm-hmm. is like a part of how we connect with people how we develop relationships that how those relationships are strengthened over time it generates a lot of dopamine for us over the course of our lives. It generates a lot of pain on the other side of it, which is fine. That kind of like give and take of life. Um, But slowly moving yourself to be more methodical about how you operate towards the things that really matter to you, I just think is really important. I mean, like it's been in all of these books that we constantly talk about, like James Clear always talked about having daily systems. I think those systems are just as important for operating in your relationships, operating with your family, how you think about being a father, a parent you know, a son, a brother, sister, whatever, as they are to your work. Like everyone yeah. wants to apply them to work and how you you know, make progress against your professional goals or how you make progress against your fitness goals. But you should think about those same things. Like what are your systems for developing a really strong and healthy marriage? It's mm. super important to right. feel like there are things that you're doing every single day that you know you said you were gonna do them and you do them. One of those for me is like expressing appreciation for something tiny that the other person did. That's been one that in my mind I'm like, I need to check the box on doing that. Not in a way where it's like fake, but in a way where I know that every single day I'm telling my wife one thing that I'm like, hey, you did this one thing, like an, a- an active service, whatever it is. And I really appreciated that. It could be stupid, like a tiny thing. Oh, you got more pods for the dishwasher, whatever it was, yeah. like the little things that compounds over time, the same as any other investment you're going to make. And so I'm just I'm like, I am a big, big believer of just having almost like a list of those daily systems that you just feel like you can check the box and create streaks around because it really will change your life if you do that. Mm. do you keep
2: all these areas separate then so like okay i'm doing a good job in this marriage system at the moment this you know financial system at the moment are they are they separate or are they interplayed for you like being good in one kind of allows you to have more energy to be sort of focused on the other or i don't know how do you think about that
1: personally i think that everything in your life is connected yeah i have a really tough time keeping things separate it's the reason why i'm such a prick about doing the things i say i'm gonna do like I, i talk about this constantly that like. I'm going to really piss people off with the fact that I'm that way sometimes yeah. because when I say I'm going to do something, I'm just going to do it. And it's not going to make sense. And sometimes it's going to mean that, like, if I said I'm going to do 30 minutes of cardio every day, we're going to get home from something at 1030 <laughs> at night. And I'm going to be like, shit, I didn't do it. I got to go do that thing. And it makes no sense. Like, there's no actual benefit. But my rationale is if I don't do that one thing. It's going to make it easier for me to not do the one thing in whatever other area in my life. And it's stupid, right? Like it's not that that 30 minutes of cardio is going to make a difference or that getting into the cold plunge for the five minutes is going to make a difference. But to me, it's going to matter because I'm going to know that I didn't do the thing that I said I was going to do. And it's going to slowly chip away at that identity that I've created as being someone that does Mm. the thing they say. So I, I think all of life is connected in that way. It's like really hard to separate it, at least for me.
0: Yeah, L- yeah, a little obsessive, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's like a weird psycho. It's like, you know, th- there's a borderline, like, psycho wiring to that type of sure. thing. But I think it does, you know, I-, I think it's probably a common thread among among people that, um, you know, have achieved great things. No is question. that they have this kind of, like, obsessive wiring around doing the thing they say they're going to do.
0: Absolutely. I mean, shoot. I mean, the-, the obvious ones are the Kobe's and the Jordan's. Mm-hmm. and And what's interesting is that. Yeah, you know, they didn't have many friends. <laughs> you know, because they did that. They were adamant. Adamant.
1: Yeah. I mean Jordan in in um what was that? In the last dance, Jordan yeah. talks about that, like yeah. his teammates. He's like, you weren't going to like me. Yeah. We we might not be friends, <laughs> and that's okay. Like yeah. to him, he was like winning has a cost, right? Like there is a price to winning. Yeah. And For him, that was just that obsessiveness, and he was going to hold you to the fire just as much as he would hold himself to the fire, and most guys couldn't handle that. You can't stand up. Are you going to run with Jordan? It's going to be really freaking hard, you're not going to like it. Tiger Woods was the same way, and you see with all these guys, right? There were areas of their life that slipped because they were so obsessive over that one. What I'm trying to do is find balance across all of this, right? Like I'm not an athlete on that level. I'm not going to be an entrepreneur on that level. I'm not like if you're going to try to balance it, that generally means that you're going to be balanced across all of these areas. You're probably not going to achieve the 0.001% outcome in the one, which is what those guys were trying to do. And so, you know, Steve Jobs is an example in the entrepreneurial world, sacrificed other areas of his life, right? Like as a family man, as a father, like other areas of his life that were really challenged as a result. I'm trying to find and I think what I'm trying to help other people find through the things I'm putting out the content I'm putting out is a balance because for most people that balance is the happy zone like that's where you can live a really amazing life feel like you're contributing to society feel like you're creating value for other people around you but not lose sight of your family your social life the other things that make you so happy and create fulfillment in the long run Hmm. so that's really I mean like if I have a mission that's really what it is balance yeah balance. Yeah. Let's talk about your book. Uh, I don't know how much you want to reveal as you're
0: you're currently writing it, but I do know the premise is kind of a, and, and I'll let you say this better than me, but more of a, a different way of looking at wealth, mm-hmm. uh, a redefined, maybe newer perspective, different lens. Uh, could you share on that? Because I know it relates to everything we're talking. about. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, I had, um, it sort of relates to my general story and, and how I got to where I am, which is basically that I started my career working in finance. I was marching down like a very traditional path from a finance standpoint, making more and more money every single year, you know, getting promoted, things were good. You're like thinking that you're following the trajectory towards being a successful person. And like, it feels good and people think you're doing well. And I had a realization right when COVID hit that I was basically chasing this thing. I was like climbing this one mountain and I was realizing that maybe it's actually the wrong mountain to climb. I started getting worried that I was going to get to the top of that mountain and look over and realize that it was the wrong mountain. I cut like a holy shit. I spent my whole life climbing this one mountain and it was the wrong one. Like Mm -hmm. this wasn't the mountain I was supposed to climb. And I had, I mean, I had what I would characterize as like a panic attack or nervous breakdown around all of this. And it coincided with things happening from a family perspective that led to, um, you know, a lot of thought just comprehensively about life. And what I realized was in this moment, financial wealth, which we've always hyped as what wealth is, you see someone that has a lot of money and you think like, wow, that person's so wealthy, amazing, so cool, is only one type of wealth that exists. And so the whole thesis that I'm going to be presenting in the book is that there are really five types of wealth. And I'm going to present both the argument for that and the rationale around it, as well as build out a tactical guide for building these different types of wealth into your life, for building that balance that I talked about. Um, I'm super, super excited about the project. I think it's going to be transformative, frankly, like for myself in the writing process and for a lot of people who read it. I think it comes like both as something that... Um, will help people to build that balanced wealth in their life and then also something hopeful for people who have traditionally not felt wealthy. They look at their lives and they say like, oh my God, I wish I had more money because look, all these wealthy people out there to realize they actually have quite a lot. Because they're living and they're super close with their family and they live close or they're physically well and healthy or they feel fulfilled mentally, you know, are very mindful. They have kind of presence, et cetera. So um, I'm super, super excited about it. It'll probably come out in mid 2024, if I had to guess, Um, you know, publishing timelines being what they are. And frankly, the writing process is going to take a while. Um, But I think it's going to be great.
2: Sounds amazing. (laughs) Uh,
1: I'll come back on once it comes out and we can talk about it more. Yeah, love to, love to.
2: (laughs) Well, we might have a lot to talk about by then because we're sort of reimagining, you're talking about balance and redefining, right, wealth and success. And we're kind of doing a similar thing with wellness Mm -hmm. and looking at, you know, these daily habits you engage in and then how is the consumption of alcohol, your relationship with alcohol impacting all of those. So Mm -hmm. right now you take an assessment, you look at your, you know, you, you maybe go to a, therapist or a doctor you ask some questions and really they're just trying to figure out like what are what level of risky drinking are you engaging in mm-hmm. and so we're kind of reframing that to more just like how does it really fit with your wellness goals at large mm-hmm. um so i think what you're saying and what we're talking about actually a lot of balance a lot of redefining and and really coming back to like what does that mean to you to feel good to yeah. feel happy to feel fulfilled
1: yeah and i mean an alcohol played a pretty key role in this whole journey for me personally like i was drinking way too much in in my prior life i mean we were having like five five dinners a night out you know for work stuff and i was drinking a few drinks at every single one of those and then i was going out with friends or trying to on the weekend or drinking just by myself at home because it was like a good way to feel good and go to sleep um and what i realized i mean this is probably up until like may of 2021 right like i realized oh my god i'm drinking way too much, like a few, few drinks a night. It's just, and it's not in line with all the other things I talk about and do in my life. I was working out six, seven days a week. Like I was, I really cared about my physical health and my fitness and all these other areas of life. And then suddenly I'm doing this thing that's like really not in line with my core values and I'm making bad decisions around it. And, um, that led to me making a big change around it to where I was like, okay, I think I can find a place of balance where, um, alcohol for me is more just like a social bonding thing and that might mean having one drink a week when mm-hmm. i'm having a special dinner with a special friend and i'm having like you know a nice glass of wine with a friend and we're connecting over this nice drink versus like drinking by myself you know two drinks on a monday night while i'm writing yeah. really right. serves no purpose yeah. i'm not connecting with anyone in that right. way um and so it really shifted for me around that to just align with the broader values that i had in life so I'll that look, it, for
2: i'm just thinking for listeners at home, you know that that's a big question they could ask themselves. Sort of like every time I'm doing this, what's the, what am I gaining out of mm-hmm. it? How does it relate back to my core values, right? Which is that window. And then if it doesn't, what's the point? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, right, I convinced yeah. myself. Um, one of the reasons I was drinking was I convinced myself that drinking made me a better writer. Yeah, and so I was like, I'd have two whiskeys, and I even like wrote. You know, I'd say like, um, oh, two whiskeys deep. Like I had this writing thing where I was doing, and I would I would have a couple drinks and I would write. And I thought it like loosened me up, and I started creating this like romanticized vision of like Hemingway, these <laughs> yeah. writers who like wrote while they were drunk, and a lot of those guys died when they were like forty. <laughs> right, by the way, which right, we don't right. have to talk <laughs> about. They had, they lived <laughs> a good life, uh, which I don't want to do. I have a kid now. I'm right. like, man. And so when when you know when I found out my wife was pregnant, and I found out you know, we were going to have, have a son. I was like, I got to make sure that I'm doing things for the right reason. Like I want to be around for, (laughs) for his whole, his whole life, right? Like I want to be around and be a big part of it. And I don't want to be in a bad, you know, in a bad spot or put my wife in a tough spot. And so, uh, and she doesn't, drink really at all or much and so that really shifted my whole perspective on it of just like thinking like what is the real reason that I'm doing this how should I be thinking about drinking if at all and uh, and where does it fit into my life like where does it mean something
0: yeah yeah well and 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 like Charlotte alluded to that's that's exactly what we're trying to get you know the masses to do these days because it's it, you know there's more and more science there's more conversation you know we all know of the the sober curious the alcohol-free trend going on there are alcohol-free bars popping up everywhere i mean this is this is not new it's it's happening right now and it's pretty exciting for us but the the ideas behind everything you're saying people are are just looking deeper it's like what what why am i doing this like is am i doing this because everybody else does and because we've traditionally done this forever well that doesn't make it okay and doesn't Mm -hmm. make it good or productive and you know like you said it's it's you know for me it 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 was always a kind of a crutch and a and and something that just made me feel good in the moment and then of course after time if you don't look at it 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 escalates and escalates and then all of a sudden you've got all these consequences and it's like what the heck and then it's potentially too late yeah Uh, and then you're dealing with addiction and so anyway i'm just yeah i mean for
1: a lot of people too alcohol is it becomes a big part of their environment Mm -hmm. it's like the things they're doing it's the people they're around it's it's everything and people fail to realize or fail to really internalize the fact that your environment creates your whole reality with all this stuff and so when drinking is a huge part of your environment that means you're going out that means you're putting yourself into, you know, risky situations a lot of the time, at least for me. Like, you know, I think about it in college, like you just my mom always used to tell me that, like nothing good happens after midnight or whatever the fact is. And it's just true, like in my own experience. And I feel like probably in a lot of people's experiences, good decisions generally don't get made after midnight, especially not when you drank. Um no. But it creates your whole environment, and if your environment creates your reality, that's the people you're around. And this might mean, by the way, like when you're shedding alcohol from your life or reducing the amount, that might mean that there are people in your life that you need to shed mm-hmm. on the way. I, I mean, I think so much about the, the analogy of like hermit crabs and the fact that they have a shell and they enjoy that shell and it protects them and is a part of their environment, and then they leave it and they go find a new shell. And we have this stigma in society with humans that that's not okay. Like, you're supposed to just have your friends, and those are your friends for life, and you're supposed to keep them with Mm -hmm. you, and it's loyalty, and you don't quit on people, and your family, and those people are just, they're there. And the reality is that might not be the case for your life. You might need to leave your shell and find a better one for that next phase of your life, whatever it is. Maybe you're leveling up in some way and you're going into a place that that prior shell just isn't going to be the right fit for you. Maybe it was when you were in college and you were having fun and doing things, but now you're getting serious. You're having kids. You're trying to progress professionally. And that's okay. And I think we need to reduce the stigma associated with that. Like I, I talk a lot about this idea of boat anchors, like there are people in your life who are holding back your progress. They're yeah. drags. It's like you have an anchor out off the side of your boat and you're trying to go full speed and you can't because the freaking anchor is hanging <laughs> in the in the ground on the seafloor. And you need to figure out who those people are and cut the line on it. Yeah. And it's really challenging because sometimes it's like a close friend or someone that you've been around for a long time. Sometimes it's family, which is really, really tough. Yeah. But when you do that, when you cut the lines from those people, all of a sudden you're unlocked It's like this weight off your shoulders that you can just move forward in life and progress on the things that you want to progress on. And so I just, in general, think we need to start slowly removing the stigma associated with that, moving on to the next thing, cutting ties.
0: Well, and it's and there's a there's a way to do it. Right. I mean, you know, when we think about that, we think about like, you know, people who just like step over people and I got to get my way and get to where I'm trying to get. Well, that's not what you're saying. It's more of like an emotional tie. And, you know, you can still have acquaintances and people that you've known your whole life as long as you're just not emotionally you know, invested and tied into that relationship, which then would weigh you down. Otherwise, Absolutely. it's just someone you know. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
2: <laughs> well, we're talking about mostly external, right? Right. Like people and habits and environments. But what about internal? I mean, you mentioned that your belief was that you were a better writer when you drank, right? So, how do you shed those sort of misconceptions that you've developed about yourself and your identity? Like, what was that process? How do you, what are the tools to do that?
0: Because there's truth to it right you know sometimes it does make you write better in Mm -hmm. the moment now of course you can look at the grand umbrella and that it you know it creates other you know issues and consequences but shit some of the greatest songs some of the greatest but i mean there's things that creativity sometimes is pushed by these substances
1: actions create identity big big believer in that movement actions experiences are what create identity and i mean there's this whole concept in um Uh, of neuroplasticity which is basically this whole idea that like experiences can actually change the structure of your brain
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and so when i think about changing your identity i think about changing your brain and how you think about these things it has to come from movement it has to come from actually taking actions to be that type of person that you want to be and that's challenging at first like the first action is the the most challenging thing Mm -hmm. i mean when you're when you're going to quit something when you're going to try to do something new it's like the whole metaphor of jumping into a freezing lake or like getting into a cold punch, whatever you're gonna do. The hardest thing actually isn't once you're in. The hardest thing is actually getting in. Like I, yeah. you know, I, I do a cold plunge every single morning and so it's I. on my deck. It's like thirty degrees out this morning, right? Like twenty five degrees out when I'm going and getting into it at five thirty in the morning. It's dark out the hardest thing isn't getting into it. It's opening the door to go out onto the deck because (laughs) I know that once I open the door, then I'm going to have to get in. And so it's all like pain in my mind. And once I'm out the door, (laughs) I'm in it and it's fine. And you kind of get through it and you like breathe, whatever. But the opening of the door is the hard part. And so it's just taking that first action, like just starting to create the movement, create the experiences that start to actually shift your brain, shift Mm -hmm. your identity. I mean, it's like actually scientifically proven that that Mm -hmm. has a structural effect on the way your brain works. Um, so that's what it takes that's what it takes. It's like the bias for action and an action movement cures everything mm. I love the cold plunge by the way oh, it's the best
0: <laughs> it is it is truly the, it is talk changed. about things that
1: bleed over into other areas of your life no man. I mean question. it's amazing. I
0: was getting ready. Right to the next words out of my mouth where it has changed my life yeah. I mean, I'm not doing it every morning like you, but i'm I plan to, and I do a lot of like you know breaking of the ice and getting in like cold ponds and lakes yeah, in the I need winter. to start doing
1: that now that it's cold. It's so fun, oh my yeah. god,
0: but the 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 lead up and the anticipation is, I mean, it is, that's is—that's—that's the challenge. It's not the pain and the water. I mean, yeah, that's hard too, but it's all mental. Yeah. Uh, like that whole thing is mental. And I look um, Laird Hamilton talks about it. Uh, he's who kind of introduced me to it back in the day. Big Wave Surfer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. His wife was on our show. Um, oh, cool. And so they have this workout uh, program called XPT, and they do a oh. lot of ice baths. And he talks about it. Um, you know, there's two kind of pieces. There's the biological piece, the hormonal pushes and the, the dopamine and the, the serotonin and all the things, the, the chemical stuff that it can create. But then there's the doing something that you don't fucking want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, for me, is the biggest reward because yeah. I have the self-discipline stuff and the stuff that's the, the stuff I grapple with most. But to go get in a freezing cold pool or pond or bath, I do not want to do it. And when I do it, I feel like
1: a, a beast. A beast. <laughs> yeah, it's An a beast, Absolutely. It beast. is. It is. I mean, I um. Someone was asking me this the other day. Like, dude, it's so stu-, like, you know, like, it's so stupid that you do that. The science is kind of like not all there yet. And some people say it works. Some people say it does. not And my whole thing is like, I don't care. Like, the science is actually just the upside for me. Like, that's, right. the, gra- that's, that's, the, a that's bonus. the that's the, like cherry on top. If there's like <laughs> some benefit for my brown fat or my like longevity or whatever, like, <laughs> right. great, fine, like that's awesome. I'm doing it for the reason you just said that it changes the type of person I am and again it's a thing that I'm doing that like is implanting in me this identity of who I am as an individual and the other reason that no one really talks about is for me it's like a moment of gratitude every single morning for all the things I've been given and the things I'm lucky to have and when I say that what I mean is like I feel I feel unbelievably lucky for so many things in life and when I go and get into that every morning it's like in inflicting on myself this little bit of like pain that i feel like i i like i need in my <laughs> really? life because yeah. of all the like the lucky things that have happened to me for no like absolutely no reason i didn't deserve half you know like 99% of where you end up is just like where you're born right. you know who you're born to the circumstances around your life and then you control that last 1% like in your the decisions you make the things you do um are incredibly impactful but so much has been given to me and i just feel like every morning when i go and do that I'm able to like give thanks a little bit and like pay my little like rent of like the fact that I'm going into this incredible life with all of these amazing gifts.
0: Oh man, that
1: was killer. So
0: I love the way you said that. Uh, Couldn't be more true uh, for a lot of us. Um, So let's dig into pain. All right. Cause pain, holy cow. Uh, We've done whole episodes on pain. But just as it leads to growth, you know, um, David Goggins, you know, I mean, these guys that do similar to what you're saying, probably on a little bit different, more different scale, uh, where it's intentional suffering, mm-hmm. intentional pain, with the idea of creating growth. Now, obviously, there's physical, and then there's emotional and, and, and different, different variations of that. How do you inflict pain other than like a, 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 a cold plunge in the morning? Like, what do you see the value of, of suffering?
1: I've written about this in the past that we have, over the course of the last, I don't know, call it 100 years, probably more than that realistically – the trend societally has been to reduce friction, like take yeah. friction from where it was in normal society and just slowly chip away at it until we live in this like frictionless, perfect blurry existence of like, you never have to talk to anyone because you can just order your groceries yeah. at home. You never have to talk to the checkout clerk because you can just pay with your phone. You get everything delivered to your house within a day. You don't have to lift anything because they bring it in. Like there's just no friction. And, and that is the trend of technology is to just remove, friction from everything and it makes the consumer experience better cuz humans like no friction. We're yeah. like we're super happy to not have to do anything. It's <laughs> right. great. It's like, "Oh, awesome, I don't have to talk to this person. I don't have to, you know, take out my wallet to pay. I don't like all these little things." Yeah. And then what you realize is we remove all friction from life and suddenly you're like, "Oh, actually that was the ad- that was what added the texture and the meaning mm-hmm. and the purpose to our existence." And so you have this obsessive desire and quest to remove friction, and then you're like, holy shit, why are we even here yeah. if you have none of it? Um, and so I wrote about this recently, this whole idea that we need to find ways to strategically reinsert friction to our lives. I'm a big believer that like, if you can reduce stress and friction in certain ways, that's great. Like, If it makes your life a little bit easier to you know have help around the house or to get the groceries delivered to you so that you can spend more time with your kids i think that's awesome but you need to find a few ways where you're going to incur intentional friction in your life in order to make sure that you feel like you just you have to feel it that's what adds the texture to life that's what slows things down so that you don't just wake up and realize that you're 80. And you just like, holy shit, what happened? My whole life just went it. by. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. I didn't feel any texture. There was no like those moments of pain are what you remember. Yeah. When you think back on your life, it's not like the pure you know, peaceful nothingness of like a day when you didn't do anything. It's the moments where you like did something that you really didn't want to do and you experienced pain and there was real friction in your life. So I'm a big believer that you have to just find ways to reinsert that friction in your life. The cold plunge is one of those ways that I do it. I also just once a week do some sort of stupid physical challenge with a friend. Yeah, And this one friend, Chad Rogers, who um, he's a professional baseball player. We trained together back in the day when we were training for baseball in our last year of training for baseball, we were both pretty injured and we basically just decided that the only way we were going to be able to perform at a high level that year was by being mentally bulletproof. And so we started doing just like, rather than just doing the training for baseball and the like physical stuff, we started doing like stupid mental challenges. Like we went out. <laughs> it was like zero degrees that year in Boston. It was like this crazy cold spell and we went out and we crawled up a mountain. There was this like mountain near my house called Cat Rock. It was like pretty steep. It was like the big sledding mountain in town and we crawled up it like from the base. Like crab walk? Yeah, kind of no, thing? like like, <laughs> cra- like army crawled up this freaking mountain in the <laughs> snow and then we got in and we went back down it and got into this frozen river and went like a half a mile Shit. in this frozen river and we were just doing dumb stuff and this is like back in 2013 or something like that and now you know he's one of my best friends in the world and we now every single sunday will do some sort of stupid challenge so like today after this he and it each it kind of alternates who gets to choose the challenge and the other person just has to do it like there's no (laughs) you're not allowed to be like "Ah, i don't want to do that whatever so like you know a few (laughs) weeks ago i was it was the new york marathon and i texted him and i was like neither one of us runs like i've never run over three miles in my life had just never done it And I texted him and I was like, you got to go to a track and run 10 miles tomorrow. God. And you just have to get it done. I've like I've I've never done that. I have yeah. no idea how long it was gonna take. So we went out and did it, and like I didn't walk for three days. Like I was in bad bad shape. And so today, like after this, he texted me last night. He's like, you have to do thirty minutes of uh fifty pound weight vest step ups, just like in a row, just like thirty minutes straight, just like monotonous, <laughs> terrible, boring. Over. So I have to go do that after when we get out of here. Do you do it uh, with him or you no? Have to, no, he you lives in Florida. Man, he lives in Florida. And so I'm like, it's dude, it's a little easier for you when you got to do yeah. these things. It's like nice and sunny and warm out. I got to do it right. in the freezing cold um but no i mean like just having relationships people things like that in your life where you're kind of accountable to doing things that are hard on a daily basis i just think it's so so important um it adds that friction back it creates that texture in your life um and it does force you to grow in some way i mean all of it comes down to goggins talks about this mm-hmm. it all comes down to controlling your mind yeah and when you go do the thing that you don't want to do you're putting one in the win column for having control over right. your mind. And if you don't control your mind and you let it control you, you're going to be in for a really tough time in life.
0: Well, then it relates back to all the emotions because then you're following feelings and, and, and then you're kind of out of control.
1: Yeah. And, and the other thing is like life is really hard. There are going to be really challenging things that happen. And so if you cannot train your stress response, if you can't train your pain tolerance – then, when those things happen that are really painful and stressful, how are you going to deal with them? Like it, right. it, it's like any other muscle; like you need to be prepared to deal with those things. So I, I think about this constantly. Of like, I feel since I've done about a hundred straight days now of the cold plunge every single morning, and I feel like nothing really stresses me out anymore. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just don't like I don't really feel like there's random stuff that happens, you know. And, and granted, like. I'm waiting for the like really stressful thing to like your kid gets sick or something happens in your family. And then, then how do you really handle, I haven't knock on wood had something like that yet. I will. And those things happen in life. And it's like, how are you going to respond to that? Well you're training yourself every single day for responding to those things. You're embracing the little points of pain. You're embracing the fact that you need to slow down your breathing and just like be present in a moment. Um, and that's, it's just a big, big thing for everybody. It's like, find the way to train that.
2: Mm how do you stay then in that space and out of i don't know uh like fear-based or like you know living in a space where you're constantly thinking about like i've got to prepare for this horrible negative thing or this <laughs> potential for this i mean how do you stay then how do you create that balance to stay out yeah. of too much negativity i
1: actually don't think about the negative events i just i think about the fact that i'm going to be prepared if they okay. do inevitably happen mm. like i'm I'm not sitting around thinking about like oh this is going to happen this is going to happen i got to be ready for it like that's kind of like doomsday prepping yeah, um which I, i've never been big into like you know i don't have like a go bag or anything in my house to like get the hell out of dodge (laughs) if i need maybe i should i don't know maybe i should like doomsday prep a little more um seeing where the world is today but um no i think it's just like you're doing something every day where you know when the inevitable happens something happens in your life your family etc that you're going to be able to handle it and that you're built for that and it's the same thing with training i mean like you lift every single day and you go and you know train to try to be strong people are like why are you doing you know like I have a coach that writes my programs because I can't write my own programs because I'm going to only write things that I want to do and that I like. And the whole point is that I'm doing things that I don't like. Like yesterday I had to do – like front rack reverse lunges mm-hmm. and you're like why are you possibly doing that like I have no I'm not training for something I'm not playing baseball anymore like there's no reason for me to be on a single leg like Bulgarian split squat I'm just like this is miserable it sucks Um but you're like you're training to like I'm like protect my family man right. this is like this is real life this isn't like some joke to me anymore like baseball was a joke that's a game that's mm-hmm. a kids game that I got to play at a high level for a while like way longer than I should have frankly um this is life, you're training for like a much more important and serious thing now. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. That's that's I mean, that's the stuff of leaders, right? I
0: mean, there's 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 a lot of people in this world that that are not, you know, and it's not preparing for war or anything like that, although it you could be, I mean, but, you know, like you said, by the way, the world's going, I, I, I often look around and I look at people and I'm like, all right, if so, if somebody was was chasing you with a knife like you're, you're gonna get stabbed. <laughs> like I'm gonna get He's away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gone, and my legs work, and I'm pretty damn strong. So, you know, it's that's how I think about some of the preparation and the training and the and even the mental stuff. It's like, man, you know, and it's it's not about, you know, I I don't know. But we we've had some losses in our family recently, and 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 you can see some people who just completely break. You know, all the way down, and and that's not bad. That that's okay. Sometimes we need to, to to have that release and just get breaking down to our core, broken down to our core. Um, I don't know, but there also needs to be someone there to comfort that person and and kind of be be a little more uh, solid,
1: secure, prepared. Um, yeah, and and, there's something know, powerful about embracing that duty in life. That's right, and being ready to be there that's right. for those people and being that rock. Um, And people like to make it as, like, a gender thing, but I don't think it is. Like, you can be that rock whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, like, whatever. It's just, it's a mentality of, like, you're going to be there, and you're going to be there in the darkest hour. Yeah. Most of your friends, I've written about this, I've talked about this, and I believe it so strongly, most of your friends are not really your friends. They're just along for the ride when it's fun, when it's convenient, when you're winning, when it's valuable to be there. And they're gone when it's none of those things. Yeah. And the real people in your life are the people who are there when it's none of those things, mm-hmm. like when you have nothing to offer them in return, and they're still there showing up right next to you. And those are your darkest hour friends. And those maybe gonna be five of those people in your maybe. life, maybe yeah. 10 if you're yeah. really, really lucky. And your entire goal in life should be to cherish those people mm. and make sure that you are that person to someone else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I saw I your post it. on that, and I made a comment, <laughs> and I said, and of course I always relay it back to drinking, I was like, you want to really test your friends? Stop drinking. See how many of them stick around. Yeah,
1: I think it was Chris <laughs> Williamson. Have you seen Chris Williamson? Um, he's a podcaster, too. I know the I name. I think that's his name, oh, Chris Williamson. It's like Chris X yeah, or yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he went on, I think he either had Huberman on his podcast or yeah. he went on Huberman's podcast, and he said something to the effect of alcohol is the only drug where if you're not doing it, people view you like you have a problem. Right. right. And I thought that was so powerful and so well said, because it's, it's very true. It. <laughs> not doing the drug makes people think you have, have a problem. A problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how weird is that? So weird. It's a bizarre thing, structurally, societally. Um, and it is changing. You, you said this yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah, Like, very quickly, actually. I think, like,
2: yeah.
1: I've seen people tweet this, and it's become sort of a meme of, like, in 20, 30 years, you know, we're going to view alcohol the way we view cigarettes, cigarettes. today. Um, and I don't know. I think there's probably a middle ground. I think that's probably like a little far further than I would say it's going to go. And personally, I have found a, you know, a happy medium of alcohol being a thing that I use for kind of like real intimate one-on-one bonding um, that I actually feel like it, it helps and actually, like, helps create connection. It's sort of in the way that I think our ancestors might have used it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, societally and, and with creating connection. Ritually. Yeah, ritually. Um, but there's something there. It is changing, and it's changing in real time. It's changing fast. It
0: is it is the 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 you know people often make that analogy to cigarettes and the difference is is the actual effect alcohol has com- compared to the actual effect cigarettes have i mean one cigarette made, never made me feel like a glass <laughs> of bourbon did <laughs> yeah. cigarettes made me feel like shit bourbon made me feel like god yeah
1: yeah i mean the other difference is like no one's you know running off the road killing someone True. after two True. cigarettes that's right um, that's right and that happens like i you know i've had People I know killed in a drunk driving accident it's yeah. like it's an awful awful thing
0: yeah yep yep there's a there's a list of consequences for yeah. sure. let's do one little dive into um the topic of honesty mm. we uh we talk about honesty a lot on our show um you know alcohol has the the ability to create a um i don't know kind of an alternate reality sometimes, and you can sometimes equate that to. Dishonesty without dishonesty, mean, meaning lying. it's That's not what I mean. I mean, an alternate reality, like a, a lack of truth. Uh, and often that that runs deep internally. Mm-hmm. Um, we discuss honesty from an internal space often as opposed to, oh, I'm just spouting off lies. It's more, are you in tune with the truth mm-hmm. and in, in tune with who you are? And sometimes this gets into a spiritual space. Um, Do you, do you practice spirituality and and some of that inner, inner honesty?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Love to hear about that. I mean, I've grown up in like a very, I don't know, multicultural, multiracial, you know, multi-religious household. Like I, you know, my mom's from India, grew up Hindu, um, came over to the U S for college, um at 18 by herself met my dad, who is a Jewish white guy from the Bronx. Um, neither family really wanted to accept that they were together. My dad's family ultimately disowned him. I've never met anyone on my dad's side of the family. My mom's family ended up embracing it and embracing him, just given he had kind of like given up his family to, Mm -hmm. to be with her. But I grew up in this like weird collision of worlds, right? Like I had the Hindu mother, Jewish father. My mom is kind of like somewhat Buddhist in some of the things she believes. And um, I never really felt like I like fit into one bucket or into one world. And so it developed in me this like very uh interesting amalgamation of sort of beliefs, cultures, faiths, et cetera, that I think still runs true for me today. Like I don't feel particularly affiliated with one religion or one kind of sect or one belief system. um, But I'm a big believer in just kind of like focusing within. And I think You find that in a lot of as a common thread within a lot of religions yeah, Mm -hmm. that the like, you know, that central line of like being true to yourself, the inner honesty Mm -hmm. um, is really, really important. I think constantly about the fact that we lie to ourselves and Mm -hmm. it's the worst lie you can tell is a lie to yourself. And there are so many common lies like we tell ourselves we're going to do things. Uh, you know, we're gonna do it later. Hey, I'm gonna do this later. Like, oh, no, you know, I don't want to do this now I'm gonna I'm gonna do this later. And it's like it's a lie. No, you're like, not. not You're not gonna do no, it. You're, you're not. just not gonna do it um, <laughs> And there's so many I need, I need to write more about this Like what are the most common lies that we tell ourselves? Um, because it's also the worst lie you can tell is the lie to yourself because mm-hmm. the second you start lying to yourself It's like if you can lie to yourself, you're the most important person so in your world If you can lie to yourself, who the hell else are you gonna you can lie to anyone? You That's lie right. to everyone about everything in the world mm-hmm. if you're willing to lie to yourself and I think a lot of it comes from fear. A lot of it comes from insecurity. I mean, I think back on my past, like I was super insecure for most of my life, like high school, you know, and all of my bad decisions come from points of insecurity. Like I think about when I was a kid, like in high school, dumb shit I did. It was always because I was insecure about who I was. It was like, you know, I didn't think I was as good as other people, you know, were saying I was. And so I started lying and like saying that I was better than I was making yeah. making shit up. Um you know i like needed to feel good about who i was as a you know as a person and so i'd like you know talk to girls or whatever try to act all cool and like mm-hmm. you know pipe myself up in a way that was like it was stupid it was just cuz i was insecure i was like chubby you know high school or whatever i was just yeah. an insecure person And so until you find that, like, security and comfort with who you really are, it's very, very difficult to be honest with the world around you and to be honest with yourself. Like, I, you know, when when you're insecure like that and you're lying to others, you're lying to yourself that whole time. You're not willing to look yourself in the mirror and say, like, I'm not shit and just be honest and, like, literally look at yourself and just be like, oh, you're actually not doing the things you say you're going to do. You're not the person that you want to be. And just be honest and have that conversation to where then you can make a change. Yeah. But most people... You're not willing to do that it's like very very uncomfortable to be able to look in the mirror and say that
0: that's right and and, and well it's and I've got a 12 year old now and this is a, a child that's entering adolescence and I mean in the thick of what you're talking about uh, not in high school yet but going through those phases of just trying to figure out who they are and I think the insecurities and the even lying to yourself is all very normal and natural for, for growth uh, early on in life. I mean, how many young people know who they are, <laughs> you know, when they're 12? They're not looking in the mirror yeah. like, I'm going to, you know, we're all trying things out and going down different paths, trying to figure things out, trying f- trying out being different people too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a, that's a fascinating part of our lives. Some people kind of continue to do that throughout their entire lives, yeah. and some of them kind of figure it out a little bit earlier on.
1: Yeah, and we all, I mean, It's a never ending game. You're always insecure about something. You're never like, some people say, like, oh, yeah, I'm not, not at all. But everyone has their thing that they're insecure about, some insecure, whatever it is. Like, you you know, you said you still get nervous public speaking. Like, it's funny. You're hosting a podcast. (laughs) Oh, I know. And you say you're Uh, nervous public speaking. Like, that's very funny from (laughs) the outside (laughs) thinking, you know, outside looking in. Like, that's a very funny thing to even think about. Uh, But we all have those things. And generally, I've tried to be more introspective about it now when, like, I'll say something that's like, you know, I'll like say something to someone. And in my own head, I'm like, that's not really true. Mm-hmm. The thing I just said, like the way I'm feeling about this thing or whatever, like, I'm just hiding from something because I'm insecure about it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm not secure about how this podcast is going. And so I'm gonna tell people it's going great and like I'm so happy with how it's going. Cause I'm just covering up the fact that I'm insecure about it. And so yeah. I want to like put on this face that everything's great to the outside world. And it's bullshit. And like when you're able to just Think uh, it, in the moment when you can recognize it, that's the most powerful thing because then you, you say it and you're like, hmm, OK, that actually that wasn't true. I just lied about that. What like what is the thing? What is my issue that's leading to me wanting to tell that lie or wanting to make up this thing? And when you can start having that awareness, that's when you can start changing the dialogue and you can start actually making improvement on it. When you're not aware of it, you're just going through life like that was how I was in high school. man. That's how I was for most of my college years, frankly, of like I didn't have really that. That sense of self I didn't really I hadn't figured out who I was to your point about your kid and was I like an athlete or was I um a nerd or was I you know like a a jock was I smart was I not like I just I I, was I like brown or was I white like I I didn't know who I was really Mm -hmm. and that makes it so hard to be honest with yourself about Mm -hmm. things yeah no question
2: What's that? So you're talking about in real time, which I love, but I I was thinking about this too. Is I, I think based on where you are in life and what you're doing at the moment day to day that you're exposed to a lot of evidence based theories or not yet evidence based theories, right? And you're constantly it sounds like thinking like, how do I integrate this? Is this going to be worth making a part of my routine? It's also leading me back to just like, do you have a process? I don't know if it's meditation or if you sit down and you write things out. Like, how do you sit down and check in with yourself? Like, this is going well. Mm -hmm. This is not really going well, but it kind of looks good. Like, how do you, what's that process for you?
1: So, I do like five minutes of journaling every day before going to bed. I would say there are like three things I do the self, the like my self check in regimen, if you will. Five minutes before bed every single night, I basically just like free form, right? Mm-hmm. yeah I'll just like brain dump of random shit that's making me anxious and how I'm feeling about random stuff, what I need to be thinking about more, or what was on my mind, what wasn't on my mind that should have been on my mind during that day. It really helps me just like get things down on paper and it helps me sleep, frankly. Yeah. otherwise, yeah. I'll get into bed and my mind's racing on a hundred different things. So that's one. two, at the end of every month, I do a little like monthly review. Mm-hmm. and in that, it's basically to make sure that my course is directed in the right direction there's this like whole idea of like your direction is much more important than your speed Hmm. i'd much rather be going slowly in the right direction than really fast in the wrong direction (laughs) i talked about it earlier like climbing a mountain i don't want to get to the top of this freaking mountain and realize it was the wrong mountain Mm -hmm. and that i didn't climb the right mountain and so i'm very deliberate on a monthly basis about looking at what is my direction like are my daily systems actually aligned with my goals Am I moving and marching towards the things that I was trying to accomplish on a more medium and long term? And what course corrections do I need to make in real time on a monthly basis in order to do that? And then the last one is at the end of the year. And I do at the end of the year, I do a kind of personal annual review. Mm -hmm. And I basically am trying to boil down to like, what did I learn this year? Like, how am I a different human being than what I was a year ago today? Because I'm a huge believer that who you are today is basically a direct result of the choices you made a year ago. And that means that who I am a year from now is basically a direct result of the choices I make today. And when you realize that, you really act differently on a daily basis. When you realize that where you are a year from now is a direct result of the things that I'm going to choose to do today and how I'm going to approach the day. And that is a hugely empowering idea. It's also a scary one for a lot of people. But we all have the same amount of time. Like there's no – I don't have – 30 hours in a day and you have 24 we all have 24 (laughs) hours in a day some people just use theirs better than others some people are investing their time versus spending their time Mm. when you're spending your time you're doing stupid shit you're scrolling on social media you're gossiping you're complaining about stuff you're you know chit-chatting like you're just doing dumb things and then when you're investing your time you're really creating that future version of yourself you're doing things that are making that future version better off and that's things that compound that's like in, investing in yourself that's like reading that's having productive conversations with people where you're learning things that's writing it's you know working on those big projects that are really important it's working on yourself physically working on yourself mentally those are all investments in that one year from now self yeah. Scrolling on social media never made anyone better off. No. It just made you wish you were somewhere else. That's social right. media is designed to make you wish that you were somewhere else right now. You okay. open it up and you're like, oh, man, this person's on some crazy vacation. This person's more jacked than me. This girl's better looking than me. Like, It's only designed to make you feel bad about what you're not. Mm-hmm. And so what good is that in your life, scrolling around, looking at that? It's only going to make you feel bad. I've, like, no one really looks on social media and it's like, wow, I feel really empowered. <laughs> yeah. I spent an hour on Instagram today. I feel so empowered. <laughs> I feel strong. I feel better off. Like, what a great way that, that I just used awesome. that hour. Yeah, that Every hour now and awesome. then you find people that are really positive mm-hmm. and that's great. You should follow those people. Like you, what you're consuming, the things you're consuming on a daily basis, create who you are. And so make sure that you're really curating and being very smart about like cutting people of what's, what you're consuming on a daily basis as well.
2: It's so similar to what you were just saying about the decisions today being a year from now, right? Like who, you're curating that what is coming into your periphery every day. So, unfollowing a few people today, and you know, intentionally picking someone up who's saying something that pushes you out of your comfort zone. I mean, hopefully, six weeks from now, your feed is consistently putting something valuable in. If you're going to look at it,
1: coming space. on our show, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> no, but huge I mean, like later. Yeah. Uh, the. Um, and the algorithms of these platforms are constantly trying to throw shit at you Yeah. Oh. because they, they actually don't want you to leave the platform no. to go do productive things. Like right. Instagram is not TikTok is not designed to make you like see something and be like, oh, shit, I'm going to go work out and like do this thing because that's going to make me better a year from now. No. It's designed to make you be like, oh, 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 and just keep scrolling for an entire day. They want you to just stay on there because that's their ad business. Like, it's yeah. great. It makes money for them. Mm-hmm. And so you have to I mean, you have to really fight the algorithm. Yeah. You have to, like, fight back against technology. It's like Terminator shit. Like, it's coming for you. <laughs> and you so got to fight back against it if you want to, like, reclaim your life and your sanity around these things. Yeah. And curating who you're consuming from is the right approach. Yeah. You have to, like, constantly purge what your intakes are.
0: Well, and this all goes back to what we started off talking about. It's, it's, and kind of one of our last topics we wanted to bring up was just the world of temptation. And mm-hmm. the temptation is comfort and, and pleasure. You know and simplicity mm. and all the things that create pain <laughs> and more stress and less preparation mm-hmm. you know it's 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 a bizarre world we yeah. live in we had uh dr anna lemke on our show oh yeah
1: dopamine nation yeah dopamine,
0: nah. she's fascinating i got to you man know. you guys got some killer guests is awesome yeah we have we have um I'm feeling and... some imposter syndrome <laughs> here <laughs> no you're in, you're in good company um And she always talks she talks a lot about pleasure and pain and and kind of the homeostasis that the brain will create uh after too much pleasure and and you'll just have this like big push of Mm -hmm. and obviously it's more like depression and and mental health uh symptoms you know
1: as a result of just creating too much comfort and fluff and and non-friction there's this idea that i recently came across um the surfer mentality have Mm -hmm. you heard of it uh i'm not sure probably So the surfer mentality is this idea that a surfer is kind of waiting in the waves, gets up on a wave and is so, so happy, like riding this wave at the peak of this wave, even though they know that the wave is eventually going to crash down on top of their head. They can experience this incredible joy and appreciation for being on the peak of this wave and riding this wave, knowing that it's going to crash down, bundle them, you know, toss them around a bunch because they know that there's another wave coming. And that there is always going to be another wave coming. And it's an amazing metaphor for life and an appreciation and creating happiness in your life. That like these waves come and go and you're going to ride one. You have to know that it's not going to last forever. It's going to end. And it's going to crash down on your head and be really painful. But there's always another wave coming. And when you can appreciate that, it creates this amazing and really beautiful cycle for how you live life. That like you're never going to be two up or two down around life you're able to appreciate the highs knowing that they're going to come to an end and when you get crushed and you're getting rolled around in the waves you're also able to just see that there's a light after that Mm -hmm. and that there's another wave coming for you to ride yeah i think it's like a beautiful beautiful way of thinking about these things i love that just got to get up and breathe yeah (laughs) as long as you can get up and breathe (laughs) right
2: that helps
0: one (laughs) factor
1: yeah
2: (laughs) i mean that even you know we both have our background in therapy but you know there's this whole idea that emotions are like waves they come and they mm-hmm. go you can choose which ones to ride but I yep. also like that like I love that I, haven't heard the... I
1: actually haven't heard that recently but oh it's yeah a great one. it's yeah. great and it
2: fits with what you're saying yeah. too which is if you're going like to ride grief. this wave enjoy it but also you know be a little intentional about which wave like this is a shitty wave coming there's a better one somewhere it's behind a great it, point so. that's
1: a great new layer to uh, yeah. to the surfer mentality yeah. actually yeah, that it you is. just added which is like you don't have to ride every wave yeah. Warren Buffett has this um, amazing phrase of like Life doesn't reward you for the number of swings you take. Like wait for the juicy pitch mm-hmm. that you're going to yeah. get. And it's like baseball analogy, so it's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. But it's very true. Yeah. Like you don't have to swing at everything that comes your way. You should actually should wait for the juiciest pitch and when it comes, swing Go hard as it. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. Commit. laughs> swing hard yeah. as all hell and mash the hell out of that ball. And that, like, I think it's a beautiful way to think about life yeah. in general. Um, have you read? Speaking of surfing stuff, it's an amazing book that I recently reread. Uh, Barbarian Days, A Surfing Life. I have not read it, uh, but I know exactly what you're you got it. So, actually, don't read it. I I read it once, and then I listened to it on audiobook. The mm, audiobook is, is incredible, okay. incredible. Like on your next long car ride, it's like. Um, It's such a random book for me to like because I'm not a surfer. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about surfing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, for some reason, picked it up. And it's really, it's like meditative, the book. It's like, it's just like a storytelling, incredible. And it makes you kind of want to surf. I'm terrified of sharks. And so I like refuse to surf inexplicably. (laughs) Um, But it's an amazing, amazing book. Uh, Highly, highly recommend it to people. I'm Listening
0: both. I'm, like t- I'm scared of sharks and I surf,
1: <laughs> and so it makes it doesn't make it very. Enjoyable. I have like a zero. There's no evidence based way for me to approach my fear of sharks. It's just I'm afraid of sharks. Oh, yeah. Like I go in the water, and especially if the water is water's murky, I'm like hell no. I don't like <laughs> I don't know what's down there. Nope. nope. Well,
0: movies and shit like that. Yeah. Didn't I'll help just I'll take fear. the surfer
1: mentality, but just like approach life yeah, yeah. that <laughs> way. I'm not going to actually do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We've got a couple of
2: power, power, power Power questions, questions. start
1: and finish with it. All right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you made this pretty intentional change to just alter your relationship with alcohol, which is, I think, what we're really always trying to get people to think about, not necessarily promoting a full removal unless that's what's right for you. So Mm -hmm. um, but what would you say are sort of the top three things that have come out of that for you that change?
1: Better sleep, (laughs) like way better sleep. I mean, completely changed my sleep and i think as a result like my focus during the day is my energy during the days um that's been a huge huge benefit i mean and, and i tracked that so i actually yeah. had data to prove that it was you know a dramatic impact but like two two glasses of whiskey in the evening is gonna make you sleep like shit that night so it, that was that was a huge one um it has made me enjoy and appreciate the drink i do have mm-hmm. so much more than i did before oh, yeah. i mean it's I like, like it's totally. like the idea of like if you eat dessert every single night you eat cake every single night none of that cake feels particularly special or interesting yeah. to you. It's like in Madeline, you know, like you're like making the kid eat the chocolate cake and he's like sitting there and he's like stuffing his face and he's crying and stuff like that. That's literally that. Um, but for me with alcohol, I was like, I never really appreciated the taste or the enjoyment or the experience because I was doing it so frequently. And so now when I sit down with a friend for dinner and we share a nice glass of wine together, I'm like really invested in the experience. I feel like the smells, like everything about it, I feel like I'm more in tune to and I'm really present with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been a big one for me. Like, I think that's that's a great thing for me personally.
2: Yeah. I love that.
1: That's a
0: good one. That's a good one. We, we, ha- we haven't gotten that one very much.
2: No, I like that.
0: Makes a lot of sense. All right, so final question. Saul Hill Bloom, why do you care?
1: Period? Period. <laughs> question mark. <laughs> <laughs> i want to impact people positively uh i used to i used to really want to get rich like that was my thing when i was a kid i was like oh, i'm gonna have a ton of money because like you know my my parents were both like academics and we, you know we were middle class but we weren't rich and i'd see people that were rich and i was like man i'm gonna do that i want to make a lot of money that looks sick
0: <laughs> um
1: and somewhere along the way i realized there were way too many just like rich yet miserable people out there, mm-hmm. way too many, Yeah, that it wasn't the answer that I wanted to be happy and feel fulfilled. And for me, that comes from impacting people. Mm-hmm. When I hear, you know, I write this newsletter every week and it goes to about 150,000 people now, which is blowing me away. Mm-hmm. And I get responses to it from real people. Like you can reply, if you reply to it, it goes to my email inbox of how these things that I'm writing from my desk in New York are impacting some a kid in India who's like, we'll write back like, hey, this thing impacted the way I thought about this. I ended up getting my first job, whatever it is. And that blows my freaking mind that I can sit and write something, think about something and share it. And it'll impact someone positively, hopefully. And so that to me is like how I derive fulfillment. That's why I care. And that's why I do what I do is I think I can impact people. And hopefully that's my family positively. And I can take care of my family as a result of these things. But if I can impact millions tens of millions hundreds of millions of lives over the course of my life a billion lives I mean holy hell that <laughs> seems like a life well lived so yeah maybe a little money comes along with that maybe <laughs> <laughs> more money comes along when you're not focused when you're not on looking money. for it exactly. Yeah.
0: exactly I will tell
1: you that I, I've definitely found that to be true when I was chasing money I had some and things were like, okay, but now that I'm not chasing money, you actually end up making more money. Right. <laughs> it's like the right. paradox of money or something like that. I should write about that. When you're chasing the thing, you don't find it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a broader metaphor for life. Yeah. yeah.
0: Saul Hill Bloom, ladies and gentlemen. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit DilworthCenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit TheBlanchardInstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.